Father, as I speak today, give me the words that you want to tell people. And may the words from this passage travel from knowledge in our heads to living words in our hearts. Amen. When I prepare a talk, I always like to read the passage and think about what jumps out at me in a new way that I've not noticed before. And I really notice the end of this passage where God says through Isaiah the prophet, I announce these things before they spring into being. This resonates with me. I am not one who likes surprises. My family are not good with surprises. We're planners. We like to know what's going on. And God in this passage gives his people fair warning of what is to come. My family are so bad at surprises that about seven years ago, my husband Jim and I, we'd had a really difficult 12 months. A really significant person in our lives had passed away and we'd moved house, we didn't have a working kitchen, Christmas was um, coming round and we were wondering what to do. So we threw caution to the wind, it was most unlike us, and we booked a few nights holiday for Christmas at Disneyland in Paris. And we'd seen the adverts, you know, where you don't tell your children till the morning of travel and you do the big reveal. So I I thought this was genius because we had a a. 7am flight and the kids would never ever go to sleep if they knew we were going to Disneyland the next day. So we woke them up about 4am, we put them sleepily into princess dresses, put them in the pre-packed car, and on the way to the airport, we gave them this sparkly letter, letting them in on our secret. And it was met with wailing and sobbing and three days of upset, in which it was declared that we'd not only ruined Disneyland for them, we'd ruined Christmas, and we'd also ruined our bank balance for, for this purpose. The kids wanted to be in on our secret. They wanted the longing. They wanted to know what was coming so they could live in that hopeful expectation. And the fact that God planned to reveal to the Israelites in this passage shows that God wants that kind of relationship with the people of Israel. This is the first of three songs called the Servant Songs, or some people call them poems, but they were probably originally put to music. And they're prophecies about a servant that God is going to send and the nature of that servant. And that servant does not just arrive one day. His people, God's people knew that he had a plan for them. And that shows that God just loves us so much he wants a relationship. Last week, Andy spoke about God's overwhelming love for us. And this again echoes that. The book of Isaiah tracks the history of the Israelites falling in and out of love. In the wilderness, out of the wilderness, in captivity, great triumphs and rebuilding cities. Isaiah was rejected by the, prof, uh, by the um, leaders at the time. They did not like his prophecy. And the prophecy that he gave to them was 
that they were going to be invaded, that they risked everything. And they did not like this, so they did not listen to Isaiah. Remember a few minutes ago when we thought, do we like to be in on the plan for the future? But what happens if we don't like the plan or the wisdom that God is giving us, much like the leaders at the time? When Isaiah was rejected, he seemingly realized the importance of these prophecies. And he sealed up the scrolls and he passed them on through his disciples. And over a hundred years later, the prophecy of the invasion did come true. And they were invaded and captured by the Babylonians. And somehow, during that time of captivity, someone said, wait a minute, didn't that guy Isaiah, didn't he say that this was going to happen? So after a time, knowing that this prophecy was true, when they were able to regroup, the people tore open all of the scrolls that Isaiah had sealed up. And they found this, this prophecy in Psalm 42, prophesying the servant. Now the Israelites, they were really focused on themselves at the time. They were really zoomed in wondering what God's plan, seeking God's plan for them next. And at the time, they thought that the prophecy was about them, about them being a nation who would bring God to the world that they would set the captives free, that they would free anyone in prison who was faithful to God. And why not? God had previously spoken to them in this way, forewarning them of disaster. And it was not an illogical assumption for them to make at the time. But we know now that God had a different plan. When we look back through the lens of the Gospels, we know that the prophesied servant was Jesus. But Jesus was far too radical a concept to be conceived. In verse 1 it says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit in him and he will bring justice to the nation. Verse 1 sets out something that could easily be viewed as a nation bringing glory to God. God had chosen them. They served God. God delights in them. It's not hard to consider that through God's anointing upon them, they could bring justice to all of the nations. But when we look further into verse 2 and 4, it says, He will not cry out or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed will not break. A dimly burned reed will not be quenched. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice on the earth and the coastlands wait for his teaching. In these verses, we see the way in which the servant will bring justice to the nations. It won't be noisy. It won't make a fuss. It's not going to be war. A bruised reed will not be broken. Those that are vulnerable and damaged will not be harmed. 
a dimly burning reed will not be put out. God finishes what he has begun. This message is not of a conqueror who demands faithfulness to God, but someone who continues to nurture and bring hope. When I think of that first verse, verse 1, he will not cry or lift up his voice and make it heard in the street. I call to mind Jesus' trial when he quietly and calmly answers the question that Pilate asks him. He doesn't shout or threaten or call down angel armies to release him and force the world to bend a knee. Jesus, with great grace and courage, did not fight when the soldiers mocked him, beat him or tore his clothes. He just calmly brought the truth that God so loved us that he sent his son to die for us. Jesus, who created the heavens and the earth, loves us so much he came to earth to spread a radical message of love that if we choose to be in on all God has announced to us through Jesus, we can also bring that radical transformation through love to the world. But do we like the message and how to achieve it? The John passage today, I feel, goes really well with this. It shows our servant king washing feet And they're not showered this morning, being in socks and slippers all day feet. They've walked miles in sandals on dusty roads, sweating feet. No one is getting pedicures or deciding what colour nail polish to use. I'm talking hairy toes, ingrowing toenails, sweaty, muddy, calloused skin. And Jesus, creator of all, picks this act of service to be intimate and vulnerable with those he cares for. Doing something that I'm sure we'd view as beneath God incarnate. But Jesus uses it as an opportunity to minister to, encourage and serve those who are going to take his radical message forward to the world. Would we view washing one another's feet as beneath us? I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeons. That's verses 6 and 7. And it's not unreasonable when you hear these verses to call forth an elite force, you know, the kind you get in the movies, where they storm the prisons and they set the captives free and give a rousing speech to excite and encourage us all with the hope and the light of the future. But I can't preach on Isaiah knowing that it's set in the same land as modern Israel. I cannot do it without raising up a prayer, please, Lord, about Israel and Palestine. God, please intercede in a real sense. Please set 
the captives free and end this conflict. Both the prisoners that Hamas has taken and those Palestinians trapped, surrounded by Israel with no way out. No one should live an existence where water supplies can be cut off or civilian hospitals destroyed. No one should live an existence where they live in fear of terror attacks, being taken hostage. But sadly, around the world today, conflicts are raging. And time and time again, we hear it in the news. I'm convinced that if the news cycle were just to list the names of all the conflicts, all the places in need, our minds would melt and we wouldn't be able to cope. What's clear is our model for dealing with conflict is and always has been broken. Call it evil, call it power, money, longing for revenge or justice. It all amounts to the same thing. The cycle of pain continues. But Jesus, isn't it great to have the but Jesus? The servant king shows us a new way. Verse 7 is all about opening the eyes of the blind, restoring sight. And Jesus did plenty of things like that. But more than that, Jesus has given us the lens of grace, the lens of love, and the lens of forgiveness through which we can view the world. We can restore the world's sight in a different way. He gives us grace because we don't deserve it. He gives us love because we're God's beloved children. And he gives us forgiveness because it's the only way to mend a broken world. Jesus was so radical, he came to reorder the world's priorities. He came to set us free from our dark dungeons. He shapes us. He tells us, don't believe what the world tells you about yourself. Believe what I tell you about yourself. And we see Jesus' message beautifully if we look to the story of Martha and Mary, where Mary sits at Jesus' feet, soaking up all Jesus has to offer her. This would have been scandalous. I, I can't explain how scandalous this would have been for a woman, even one of a little status, to sit at a teacher's feet and learn. And Mary, I have no doubt, would have known this. She would have known what kind of behavior was expected from her. But Jesus was so captivating that all expectation left her mind. She soaked up Jesus' glory and teaching and presence. How are we feeling? Are we free to change our priorities? There are many accounts where Jesus frees people from illness, fear, social norms during his time here. Jesus didn't just march into prisons, though. He didn't set people free 10 or 20 at a time. 
his way, Jesus' way, acknowledges that we are all stuck in our own dungeon. And he has come to meet us where we are to show us his light and show us his way to the new identity he wants to give us. We only need to choose to say, yes, Lord, here I am. Let me in on your plan. Show me how to get from where I am to where you want me to be. So what has God been saying to us about our own lives and our own prisons? What's stopping us from taking the next step into the life Jesus has for us? Are we bound by fear, addiction, hatred, grief, many, many other things I could list? Bring it to God and ask him to help, help you to find your way through. It's not easy, but ask him to show you how you get from where you're tied to where you're free. And despite the hard work, do we want to be like the people that rejected Isaiah's message? We want God's blessings, God's goodness, but we don't want the difficult stuff. I don't think we are, because going through the difficult stuff is difficult. But it's better. It's better when we walk with God. The nature of a servant is to serve, not to question or doubt <clears throat> or avoid. It's a role, it's active. It's doing, it's trusting. For a long time, God had been speaking to me about becoming a vicar, and I had refused to listen. <clears throat> I can't tell you all the things I did to avoid it. But mostly, my husband isn't a Christian, and I didn't really know how to talk to him about it. I didn't think he'd understand. But eventually, I found myself completely by accident. A conversation had gone right when it should have gone left, and I found myself halfway to telling him. So I took the plunge, and I blurted it out. And you know what? He has turned into my biggest supporter, including paving the way with Andy for me to be here with you all. God can do good things if only we trust him. Jesus is God of all things, creator of the world, word at the beginning. Let's not limit his opportunity to do great things in our lives because our vision and our plan for ourselves is too small. Jesus is that guy with a plan who can create a path where there wasn't one. He's the way maker. Isaiah's prophecy about the coming servant needed the Israelites to zoom out from their focus on themselves to see the bigger picture. Are we so preoccupied with avoiding whatever we're locked by that we cannot see God's bigger picture for us in our church, in our community? Loving our neighbor, loving our enemy. How is Jesus calling us to serve? Who is Jesus calling us to love?